Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. It's the 19th of December, and so it's the 19th day of Advent, which means we are in Luke chapter 19. Um, If you haven't been moving through Advent with us, this is a wonderful opportunity to jump in. Um, And you're saying to yourself, but I should be reading Christmas texts right now. Well, Jesus is is born that he may die. Um, And it is in today's... uh, passage in Luke chapter 19, that Jesus actually enters into what you and I would call Holy Week. Um, And so the Palm Sunday experience of Jesus is included in in this text. And he sends some of his disciples ahead of him, and they obviously find uh, things exactly as he had told them. And this is where they untie uh, the colt and, and simply say, the Lord needs it. I want you to just pause there for a moment and consider if somebody just showed up and said that God needed something that you have, um, are you like, are you just like ready to yield it? This is a curious, right? It's a curious question. Am I ready to just yield whatever it is that God asks of me? Um, and I recognize that the story of Jesus, particularly in this context, is very unique and that there was uh, a, sp- a spiritual presence and energy um, that maybe people are not as sensitive to today, but I want to be spiritually sensitive. And so if somebody um, on behalf of God is asking for something of me, am I, am I like ready? Am I just like ready for that? Um, so are you, are you ready um, to yield to God's use, whatever it is that he may need today? And you say, well, you know, God doesn't need anything. Well, um, so God likes to take what we have, what he has given us, and and multiply it to his glory um, and demonstrate uh, that he's present and powerful and redemptive. And so uh, like the little kid who, you know, had his mom had packed him a lunch and he was there with thousands of people on a hillside and the Lord had need of something to multiply. I mean, could Jesus have simply, you know, created fish and bread out of the stones that were there on the hillside? Yes, but there's a lesson in the little boy giving his lunch, giving all that he had, um, trusting that God would multiply it to meet the needs of many, giving the colt in this story um, because the Lord has need of it. So when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. And then they began to say these words, which are uh, clearly um, messianic. This is a clear claim of Jesus being the Son of God who's going to sit on the throne of David forever. And that is going to cause some real problems politically um, with the Romans. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna 
Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, some of the Pharisees um, uh, want Jesus to rebuke his followers. Uh, Jesus does not do so, saying if, if, if they are silent, the very stones are going to cry out. Um, and as he is approaching Jerusalem, he weeps over it. Let me just ask a question today. Have you wept over your city lately? Have you wept over the status of things downtown, wherever that is where you live? One of, uh, one of the people who, who grieves over the status of things um, and yet is doing something incredibly redemptive about it is Stephen Wilson. He's one of the pastors at Gateway Church in the Dallas-Fort Worth uh, Metroplex. And they are, they're not just having worship services in prisons. They're not just doing ministry in prisons. They are planting churches in prisons. These are campuses of Gateway Church. And so we're going to talk about that next here on Mornings with Carmen. to be joined today by Pastor Stephen Wilson. He is affiliated with the Gateway Church. It is a multi-campus, multi-site church in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. Pastor Stephen, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Um, Well, it's wonderful to have you. Let's just start with this. Gateway is a big church. I mean, it's a really big church. So when, when we say that a really big church has opened an additional campus, um, some people are going to wonder why that's worthy of the attention of a national radio audience. Um, so talk with us about where your new church locations, where your new campuses are located. Okay, our new locations are located inside prisons inside Texas. So that's pretty amazing to most people. They're, they're thinking, how can you do a campus inside a prison? And right now we are in three different prisons in Texas, and we have three more scheduled for next year. So we're going to keep adding on three new campuses inside prisons every year because we just feel like it's so vital for us to get in there and just inside the darkest place you can imagine and just bring the light and love of Jesus Christ to those men. So let's talk about um, the, the environment inside of a prison and let's talk about the congregation and then, you know, who serves as the volunteers? Like, how does that all work? So, Carmen, we are going in and planning a church just like we would out here on the outside. So we're putting in a campus pastor that oversees that prison, and he is going in there and teaching those men how to become ushers, how to become greeters, how to run sound, and letting them run their church inside. We are bringing in our Gateway Worship Academy and teaching those guys how to lead worship. And then we bring in our service with Pastor Robert Morris and let him, you know, we show the sermon. Uh, But the guys are running the church. You know, they have gifts and callings on their lives, and we're going in there just helping call those out in them and help them really see what their new identity is in Christ. And we really want to train them to be leaders in the local church. So when they get out, they can make a huge impact in their communities. So, Pastor Stephen, you know, we, we have talked in the past about efforts at criminal justice reform and the need for it here in the United States. We have talked about Um, the real challenges that formerly incarcerated people face um, when they are no longer incarcerated. 
Uh, one of the things that I see happening here is just a real transformation of what we might have historically called prison ministry. This is not old-fashioned prison ministry. This is the church inside of an environment where I don't know that churches have been planted in the past in a in a conscientious way. Yes, you're correct. There, there's hundreds of churches that go in and do great ministries inside and, and maybe show their service or teach different Bible studies or things like that, but we're actually taking our entire church and planning it inside. So what I mean by that is everything we do in a gateway church out here in the world, we're taking it inside. So that means we're doing our, our weekly services. We're doing equip classes. We're doing small groups. We're doing leadership training. And when I talk about our equip classes, we're just taking classes that we do out of the normal campus and teaching those classes inside because we found that those classes are really helping these guys prepare for reentry. When they get back out to society, we want to give them the tools they need to become the men God has called them to be. So we're taking in our classes that we do at our church on parenting, our classes on marriage, uh, financial stewardship, leadership, spiritual growth. We're doing all those types of classes inside. And that just, I feel like it's preparing those guys to be a better dad, to be a better husband, you know, just be a better part of their community when they get out. And we're not asking them when they get out, Carmen, to come and be a part of Gateway Church. That's not what this is about. We're trying to train them to be leaders in their home, leaders in their community, and leaders in their churches when they get out, wherever they go around the nation. Okay. I mean, other people are like me. They have chili bumps right now. They're like thinking to themselves, this this is not only like good news for the places it's happening. This is... I mean, this is potentially not not. It's so great that it's it's transformative for individuals, but this is potentially transformative for these families and the communities into which these men are going to be reintegrated. Um, you know, post incarceration. So, I want you to talk with us about maybe the responses so far, responses from inmates, responses from members of Gateway congregations on the outside when they learned about this. Um, you know, what what have, what has been the response to this point? Well, when Pastor Robert first announced our first prison campus back in January of this year, we had standing ovations at every campus at every announcement. People just embraced this outreach that we're doing as a church. Um, I, I think it's great to see the church outside the box. You know, so many times our churches, we're all about inviting people to our churches. But at Gateway, we're going into a place and taking our church to them. So that's huge, and our congregation is loving it. But what it's really doing to our congregation is it's helping them look differently at guys that have a past, okay? Um, for instance, I had a past. That's where my heart is. I'm an ex-offender myself, okay? But when I came to Gateway, it's, it's like they embraced me and loved me. They didn't care about my past. They were more worried about where I am today and what I'm doing in the future. You know, where's God taking me? How am I growing? What's the, am I becoming the, you know, what type of man am I becoming? And they weren't real worried about judging me about the mistakes I've made in the past. You know, our, our logo is we're all about people. And Pastor Robert's really all about people um, and just helping them grow to become the men and women God's called them to be. And now that we're doing it inside the prisons, we're having families of the men that are incarcerated. And, and we like to call them residents because, um, you know, they're just temporary residents of that community. We jokingly like to say, just think of them as being in that HOA, and it is a gated community. So 
that's kind of our joke around the church. But, you know, those guys have families out here on the outside, and those families now are reaching out to our church. We're being able to love on their kids and their wives and their moms. And then when the guys get out, they're able to step right in. So I don't know if you understand that part, Carmen, but inside, if we train a guy to be a greeter, when he gets out, if he comes to one of our gateway campuses, he can immediately become a greeter at one of our other campuses. He's just moving from one campus to the next. And so it's really making them feel part of our family. You know, I tell them all the time, you guys are not a project to us. You're our family. You're a part of the church. And that's, that's hard for them to grasp and understand. I think they've had so many people give them promises or say things to them in the past and kind of fallen away. Um, the gateway's gone in and we're committed to these men. And I tell them all the time, I said, guys, we're going to be here every week until Jesus comes back. Okay. But, you know, obviously I'm going to miss that week. And so will you guys. But that's our commitment to them is we're going to be there. And so for those families to see that type of commitment to them, it's, it's really transforming the way they look at the church because so many of them have been burned by the church in the past. This has given them a new outlook of a church that's really, you know, just going out and doing what Jesus told us to do in Matthew 25 and reaching out to the least of these. But so I, I am talking with have, Pastor Stephen Wilson from uh, Gateway Church. He and I are talking about the expansion of of Gateway into a number of additional campuses. They, uh, they're they going to plant 10 churches on prison campuses within 100 miles of existing Gateway churches in, in just these two years. And so we're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation now with Pastor Stephen Wilson. He is one of the pastors of the Gateway Church. You can find what we're talking about today at gatewaypeople.com. You're going to look for their campuses, and then you're going to see that their campuses include uh, the names of prisons within 100 miles of their other Gateway campuses. Um, Pastor Stephen, talk with us about, you know, this, this is a pretty aggressive plan to plant 10 churches in two years, but you literally... You literally do have a captive audience. <laughs> yes, we do. That's for sure. And the way we're able to do that, Carmen, is with our gateway campuses here on the outside, we're having each one of our campuses out here adopt a prison. Okay? So think about that. Now people in each one of our campuses are going to serve together inside a prison. So now we're building community with, with both of those campuses growing together. Okay, so I take volunteers in every week from our local campuses, and they go into the prison. And then when they come back to their campus the following weekend, that's the buzz. That's what they're all talking about. Man, what happened at the prison this last weekend? Well, let me tell you about so-and-so I got to pray with. Or let me tell you about, you know, just what's going on there and the lives that are being changed. Carmen, we've had over 1,700 men accept Christ this year inside our prison campuses. And those are changing not just the men, but the ripple effect of what it's doing to their families and their children and their parents is just amazing. We get phone calls in from moms that that say, I'm not real sure what's going on inside there, but my son is a different man today. I can tell he's acting differently when we're in visitation. He talks different. He treats me different. He treats his kids different. And all she can do is just say, you know, it's a miracle. I don't know what y'all are doing, but God's working on my son. It's amazing just to watch the transformation in these families. 
So when I scroll down um, on gatewaypeople.com and I scroll down to your locations and then I click on uh, prison campus ministries, uh, you know, I I see, um, and I might mispronounce these, uh, is it Cofield or Caulfield? Cofield, you're correct. Cofield, and then I see Lindsay and I see Sanders, Estes. Um, this is already expanding pretty quickly, um, just, you know, just in a very short period of time. Um I, I I want you to cast a vision for other churches in other communities across the country um, to to follow the leadership of Gateway Church. And and this is such an incredible model of genuine redemption. Like when we talk about having a hope that God might bring renewal to the United States of America through genuine revival, and we talk about our racial relationships and the brokenness we experience in this country, and we talk about incarceration, and we talk about um, real redemption in terms of what the criminal justice serve, uh, you know, real transformation that people experience, and genuine forgiveness, and uh, and becoming, you know, becoming full citizens upon their uh, post incarceration. Like all of that is involved here, and the community of believers is a huge part of that. But you and I both know Jesus has to be at the center of it. And so um, talk a little bit about casting that vision to other evangelical Christians across the country. Yes, and you're exactly right. Jesus has got to be the center of it to change those lives. And it's amazing just to watch the revival that's happening inside prisons, not only in Texas, but in other states across the nation. Uh, Men just raising up and worshiping the Lord like you've never experienced. Um, We also have reports from other countries of things that are going on. Um, and just what Jesus is doing inside the prisons, inside that darkest point. And, and I think the key to that, Carmen, is that these men have gotten to the bottom, <laughs> you know, kind of the, the brokenness like King David described in Psalms 51. You know, they become broken, and they're searching, and they're hungry for the Word of God more than anybody else. I, I have people tell me all the time the worship inside a prison is unbelievable, that they've never experienced worship like that out here on the outside. But it's so easy to do, and that's what I tell churches. We're not reinventing the wheel. We're not writing new curriculum that's specific for prisons. We're just taking what we're doing inside our church and just transferring it to a different location. Okay, so I tell churches all the time, you know, are you doing a marriage ministry? And they say, yeah, we're doing small groups on using such and such curriculum for marriage. And I say, well, praise God, all you're doing is just taking that exact curriculum and taking it inside a prison and teaching it to those men because they need that help with their marriages also and and how to become the husband God's called them to be. So it's very simple for churches because if they're already doing it on the outside, they already have the volunteers, they already have the curriculum, they already have the knowledge of what they're doing, and they're just moving it to a different location. And I think the key to Texas, um, Texas right now has a recidivism rate of only 20%. Where nationally you hear, you know, two out of three guys are going back or 65 to 70% recidivism. Texas is at 20%. And a lot of that is because the faith-based programming we're taking inside is giving them the tools they need for reentry. Like I told you, we're doing stuff on marriage and parenting and finances, you know, and and how to be a leader inside your workplace. Um, Those type of tools. But we're doing it from a godly perspective. You know, how, what did Jesus teach about marriage? What did Jesus teach about those type of financial issues or whatever? And so we're using it from that perspective to teach them 
So when they get back, they have all these tools that they can just become a, a great part of society. And, and I think churches lose how simple it is. They think, oh, well, we're just going to go in there and evangelize everybody. So we're going to have to go through all these steps and ha- teach everybody how to lead somebody to Christ and, and all these different things. And I'm telling them, no, no, that's not it. The, the men we're working with inside, probably 80 to 90% of them have already accepted Christ. They come to our church services. So we're in there to really disciple these men which is kind of a paradigm shift from the normal prison ministry you mentioned earlier. Everybody thinks we got to go in there and get them all saved. And we're saying, no, that is a big part of it. But who's teaching them how to walk this walk? And that's what's separating it and making it a huge ministry for us. I I just, it's so inspiring. Uh, It does occur to me that um, they're going to need to duplicate you, right? So that as these Mm -hmm. campuses multiply, you cannot shepherd congregation. I mean, we know this, right? You cannot shepherd congregations that are going to be in locations as diverse as ultimately all these locations are going to be. Um, and so we're going to be praying for you and for Gateway as God continues to multiply this uh, this particular ministry and plant these campuses uh, in inside of prisons around uh, or near each of your current Gateway campuses uh, across the country. It's just really exciting. Just know we're with you and we're for you. And we would like to hear an update in the future as God continues to multiply and grow this ministry. Oh, I would love to. I would love to come back on any time and give you an update. Just love it. All right. That's Pastor Stephen Wilson. He is one of the campus pastors at Gateway Church. You can find what they're doing at gatewaypeople.com. Again, uh, Pastor Stephen, thank you so much for being with us today on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you for having me. We'll be right back. There is a moral uh, revolution afoot in America. It may be happening in spaces and places um, and among people with whom you are not commonly in contact. And I kind of want to change that today. So Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove... Um, is a moral revolutionary. That might be my best way to describe him. Uh, Others would describe him as a prophet. He has written a book entitled Revolution of Values, Reclaiming Public Faith for the Common Good. Let me go ahead and tell you in advance that um, his views are going to be a little bit challenging to some who are listening. So let's be mindful of our responsibility as Christians to um, seek truth where it is to be found and to listen when our presuppositions are challenged, right? So let's consider um, why we think the way we think and why we approach the conversations of the day the way we do um, as we engage in what I think is going to be a fairly fresh conversation for many people um, about this moral movement uh, in America. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Our tendency is to quit too soon to stop before we cross the finish line. This is Max Locato. It shows up in the smallest of things, a partly mowed lawn, a half-read book, an abandoned diet, or it shows up in life's most painful areas, a cold faith, a wrecked marriage, an unevangelized world. Am I touching some painful source? If I am, I want to encourage you to remember Jesus' determination on the cross. Did he ever want to quit? You bet. That's why his words are so splendid. It is finished. What was finished? A history-long plan of redeeming man was finished. 
The message of God to man was finished. The sacrifice had been made. It was over. It's a cry of completion, a cry of fulfillment. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us to remain, to endure, and in the end, to finish. This is Max Licato. So welcoming now Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove to Mornings with Carmen. We're going to talk about his book, Revolution of Values, Reclaiming Reclaiming Public Faith for the Common Good. Uh, And we may talk about some other things as well. Jonathan, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for having me. It's good to be with you. So um, I could... Well, I could introduce you with all kinds of um, of f- fancy references to all the things that you're doing and teaching and the places that you're speaking, um, but I really just want to give you the platform to talk about um, the revolution in values that you're you're not just proposing, you're participating in, you're a part mm-hmm. of fomenting. Um, you point in the book to actually several organizational efforts across the country that, you know, I I feel fairly confident, Jonathan, most people who are listening right now, if they have ever heard even of like the Poor People's Campaign, they have not they have not heard of other organizations. They don't really know that this movement is something that's happening, even though we have had we have dipped our toe into this conversation at various points along the way. Um, And Mm. so this is this is soil that has been prepared in this audience, hmm. but this is probably okay. not seed that has really been sown. So I just want you to sow the seed. Well, I'm really grateful to get to talk about it because, frankly, I grew up in a context where I wasn't aware that uh, this connection of the gospel to uh, work for building justice and and really reconstructing democracy in America uh, is happening. I, I read about it in the history books. You know, I knew about the civil rights movement, but I thought that was in the past. And as a matter of fact, you know, many of the people who were doing that work then as very young people are still with us now and uh, are, are, are doing work to deeply connect Jesus's concern for the poor, good news for the poor, um, with the prophetic tradition, you know, that says that, that uh, uh, you know, woe unto legislators who legislate evil, uh, robbing the poor of their rights, but, but, but bless those who, who work for justice and, and who work for you know, poor people to uh, have wages that that can feed their families and access to health care and these things. And what's happening in the country right now is that moral leaders who have been teaching the scriptures in that way are connecting with directly impacted people um, who have been really forgotten and pushed to the sides of our public life for so long and, and building a movement that represents the 140 million people in this country who are poor and low income. So when we talk about people who are poor and low income, and we talk about, you know, frankly, the responsibility of Christians and Mm -hmm. the church institutionally to not only acknowledge, but then activate, like actually like turn our hearts toward people who are having a hard time. Um, I, I do think that, um, and you, you illuminate this in the book, but I think that part of the challenge that and I'll just use the phrase conservative Christians, even though that is that is painting with a really broad brush. But but we have to I think we got to do that to get to get into this. I think that for mm-hmm. many people who have been you know, like raised in what I would call evangelical Christianity, particularly in the last generation, um, yeah. 
there is a view of the poor that is more based on sort of a heroic Americanism, like, right, you know, bootstraps and those kinds of things, versus a biblical understanding of the reality of poverty and the responsibility of care and concern for the poor. That's right. Yeah, for 40 years, there's been a really intentional effort that I outline in the book to uh, to frame uh, the economic issues that people face as uh, simply a, a need for opportunity. And uh, as a matter of fact, what we can see, if we look back at the history, is that uh, throughout that whole period, income inequality has increased. Uh, the, the, the richest people in this country have gotten richer while wages have stagnated. And while, you know, there are direct ministries and efforts that people can do in their communities uh, in relationship with people who are poor, a lot of the issues and this is what poor people have taught me, a lot of the issues are structural issues, right? It's about it's about laws and it's about uh, justice in public life. And so helping to connect our faith to work for justice in public life, I think is essential. And that's what this revolution of values is really about. I watched a brief, um, you know, it was, it was probably posted on, on social media somewhere, but it's just this brief video. Um, and it's, it, I think it was by The Economist, and it was just featuring um, the the difference between uh, these these three-year-olds who were been being raised by affluent mm. parents and the things that were happening for these three-year-olds, the, they they determined that that one particular three-year-old, she had heard three million more different words by the time she was three than her, um, you know, than her counterpart who was growing up in poverty with a single parent, literally on the other side of town, um, no access to the kinds of these educational opportunities that this girl was experiencing. And yeah. you can really see that um, there is an opportunity conversation there, but there is a conversation that's much deeper than that as well. Um, those children are start, they're going to start school in a very different place. And then they're not even going to go to the same schools. They're not going to go to the same camps. They're probably not going to go to the same churches. And so yeah. part of what I feel like you are, um, you know, that you're trying to do in Revolution of Values is really sort of awaken the heart and mind of people who were raised in a way of thinking that they they have never considered. Like, I feel That's like true. you're trying to get people to look at the way we were raised and say to ourselves, the way I was raised leads me to think the way I think, and that may or may not be biblical. That's right. And I want people to understand that— uh, you know, a lot of energy and a lot of money was invested in teaching people to think the way we think. Um, I mean, I think we, we take a lot of these things as simply given. You know, when people talk about biblical values, we think we we know what those values are. But when you go back to the Scripture and read the Scriptures with people who have been directly impacted by poverty in this country, uh, I think you, you realize that there's a whole different set of values there. I mean, the, the, the Jesus who we're celebrating, you know, in this season, who was who was born as a poor— baby in, you know, first century Palestine, uh, that that Jesus becomes, uh, you know, an asylee immediately. He has to run to Egypt to, you know, um, to survive. And that, you know, poor family that he's raised in is a a place where uh, he, you know, develops an imagination for how God's will for everyone to be able to live and flourish um, is about good news for the poor. So he connects deeply with you know, Isaiah's vision because of his experience. And his first sermon is, you know, the Spirit of the Lord is on me to preach good news to the poor. I think if we distance ourselves from the people who have those experiences, we 
we, we can't even hear the good news of Scripture. And so I'm so grateful for teachers who've invited me to learn. People like right there in Minnesota, um, I tell the story of Julia Dinsmore in the book, uh, an incredible leader in that community who, out of her own experience of poverty, connected deeply with the, the gospel's good news, not just for her, but for all people, and has, has, has been an organizer and someone who's worked for justice in Minnesota for years. It is a book of, uh, of stories, and it will challenge the way that you think, even the way that you think about what you think. Uh, it's Revolution of Values, Reclaiming Public Faith for the Common Good. Jonathan Wilson, Hartgrove, and I will continue this conversation in just a moment. It came upon the midnight clear, that glorious song. I am talking with Jonathan, Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove. I don't know why the word Jonathan and the word Wilson are hard for me to say back to back, but I will tell you that for the promo when we were recording it, Jonathan, I had to do it like 10 times. So I, apparently that's hard for me to say. Uh, but we're glad you're here. Well, that's a mouthful. Uh, it is. You've been described as a prophetic voice. You have been uh, described as um, uh, a pot stirrer. See, like, it depends who you talk to, like, who, what sort of uh, reference point people have. And so I do feel like we should offer a little bit of a trigger warning to um, my particularly Trumpian listeners, because part of the conversation is 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 critical, openly critical, um, about the posture and the policies and the language and the view of people uh, that has become a part of the narrative uh, just in the last few years, in terms of sort of its public social acceptability, mm-hmm. and so I want to I want to say that um, when when you use terms like biblical values, like I would yeah. say you're you are advocating for biblical values, but I also understand that when we use those terms in the culture, those words um, belong or they've been claimed by a particular yeah. set of people in the same way the rainbow has been claimed by other people. And so um, let's talk about that as a Mm -hmm. part of this conversation about all of us together needing a new moral narrative. Absolutely. Thank you for asking it, because I want to say I love Trump voters. I love conservatives. I was raised among uh, people who, you know, would very much be labeled that way in in a so-called red county, in a so-called red state. And I believe that the narrative that has been used to, uh, to, to, to grab hold of religious language to back a corporate agenda that has led to the Republican Party having a candidate like Donald Trump is hurting people like those people who raised me. So part of the reason I'm trying to challenge this narrative is that I think it's a con game. I think this notion that a pro-life agenda is an agenda that denies the fact that corporations are destroying the earth, that denies the fact that uh, people are trying to shrink government and government services to the place where, uh, you know, hardworking families can't survive in this country, where corporate greed is is allowed while the, you know, denigration of people is ignored. Uh, what, when we're putting kids in cages at the border and and acting like this kind of you know religious nationalism can justify that, I think that's a not just a betrayal of Christian values. I think it's a betrayal of the very people who've been told that this agenda represents them and their values. And so, I want to speak to people about this because I think uh, I think folks have been 
uh, sold a bill of goods. So I'm going to um, I'm going to hear from folks that a lot of that uh, is like, you know, talking points rhetoric. Um, and so let okay. me just go ahead and say to those listeners, um, I'm 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 aware of that. I'm aware that that is the way you're hearing that. Um, but what you're talking about is us moving, it's us acknowledging that together as a nation of people, we can't just be passively um, allowing some among us to continue to be hurt, not only individually, but but because they're poor, allowing them to continue to be hurt because it's to my economic advantage that um, the system remain as it is or progress in a particular direction. And that, yeah. that as a Christian, my heart needs to be engaged here. Um, and when we talk about uh, redeeming capitalism, let's say, or when we talk about reconstructing democracy, um, we're talking mm-hmm. about something that's ultimately good for everybody. That's right. And I think one example, I mean, people who believe in democracy, I think, can understand uh, one of the issues I talk about early in the book, which is voter suppression. If you trace the history of the political movement that the religious right has tried to ally Christians with, it is a political movement that after the Voting Rights Act and after the Immigration and Nationalization Act uh, tried to hold on to political power by uniting white folks in the South and the suburbs and the Sun Belt. And as that demographic has shrunk, it is a political movement that has been willing to use voter suppression to try to hold on to power. I think if you believe in democracy and you look just at the at the bald facts of the way that uh, the Republicans are practicing voter suppression across the country right now, um, that it's a serious moral issue. Absolutely. Um, I think that would lead us to a conversation about the restoration of voting rights to, you know, people yeah. who've done their time. Um, I think that's a redemptive conversation we need to be having. I think the conversation in our own local communities about how to make it possible for average people who are working hourly jobs to actually find an opportunity um, to go and vote, particularly if they live in places like I live where you have to go on that day. Um, I I just think that we have to be concerned in our own communities that that people have a way to get there and that people have time to go. Um, Because I do value the participation of everyone. I want it to be a robust democracy. All right. You and I are going to have to continue this conversation at another time. But, Jonathan, thank you so much. Jonathan Wilson, Hartgrove. Um, The list of places that you could engage with Jonathan is really long. Um, Jonathan, maybe give them one place, like one-stop shopping. Where would be the one place we would send them today online? You can go to JonathanWilsonHartgrove.com and find a lot, but you can also connect with the Poor People's Campaign wherever you are. Uh, There are state-based groups doing it all over the country, PoorPeople'sCampaign.org. Because one of the things Jonathan uh, wants us to do is not just think about these things, but be actively engaged in these things. Uh, Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Good to be with you. We'll be right back. Okay, so uh, I'm going to encourage us to be listeners today um, because I think today is going to be a day of great foment in the conversations of the day. Uh, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and certainly slow to become angry. That's from James 1.19. You've been listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much. We'll see you right back here tomorrow. Have a great day, and God bless. 
Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.